Welcome to As I Live and Grieve, a podcast that tells the truth about how hard this is. We're glad you joined us today. We know how hard it is to lose someone you love and how well-intentioned friends and family try so hard to comfort us. We created this podcast to provide you with comfort, knowledge, and support. We are grief advocates, not professionals, not licensed therapists. We are you. Hi, everyone, and welcome back again to As I Live and Grieve. You hear me say it every week. You know I'm going to say it again, so we'll just take a moment. I just want to say hi and welcome to Adam Carter. Oh, thank you so much. Hi, and welcome to you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and I didn't want to divulge your background because I want to let you tell people a little bit about your background. Go ahead, Adam. Well, that makes me sound way more mysterious and interesting than I might be. Um, it is. <laughs> I actually, right now, I have the um, the honor and privilege of serving as the National Clinical Director for the National Alliance for Children's Grief. Um, it's a it's a position that I stepped into about a year ago. I just I just crossed the year mark, um, and we're an organization that's dedicated to putting information in the hands of folks who want to support children who are grieving, anyone who wants to support children who are grieving, from families to practitioners to individuals who are involved in afterlife care to teachers to principals, anyone who interacts with children will interact with children who are grieving. That's just, that's, that's a fact. Now, what we have an opportunity to do is to connect them with resources that will help both them and their relationship with the child, but also in the child's grief journey as well. That's, that sounds fascinating. And I just happened to kind of stumble across your website and mention of the organization as I was, you know, as I was chatting with my best friend, Google one day, but uh, you know, I must have fallen down a rabbit hole or something, but I, I always appreciate those rabbit holes that lead uh-huh. me somewhere exciting. And that's what happened one day. So I really appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule to chat with us for a little bit and help everybody understand what looks to me to be an amazing resource in the area of children's bereavement. Could you help me a little bit? Now, when I hear the word children, I think of probably elementary school. But that's not always the case. We have a lot of instances, especially with a lot of the school tragedies lately that, well, I say lately, it's gone on for years now, where it's teens that really need help. And I know living in a household where there are two teenagers, they're at the upper end of the teenage years, but I know what they went through and what their parents went through too, raising them just with everyday activities. So when I think of an area where teenagers even might be going through grief, it's amazing. I don't, I don't know how it's done. So can we talk about that, that age group for a few moments at least? And I want to remind all our listeners again, we've already agreed, or I think we've agreed that everybody grieves differently. So If everyone grieves differently, if you have a household of four people, mom, dad, two teenagers, and there happens to be a tragedy for one of their friends or someone at school or or whatever it is, even a grandparent, I suppose, what are some guidelines, what are some thoughts that you might offer the parents of teenagers to kind of help facilitate or help ease or try to be supportive? Sure. I 
I will actually I'll answer that question if it's okay by telling my own kind of grief story because it's it starts in adolescence. At 17, I was in marching band in very rural West Virginia and we had just come back from an away game kind of late in the evening and the next thing I remember is the light kind of comes underneath my door and I'm thinking I got in late, I'm an only child, my mom and dad were in bed hours before I'd gotten home and so I kind of opened the door to see what was going on and my mom was there being comforted by, by my, my grandmother and my dad was sitting there and I had other aunts and uncles in my living room at 1.30 in the morning. And I was thinking, this isn't normally what, what is happening here. And, and they had me sit down and our phone was not working is why everyone showed up. They tried to call my mom and they couldn't get through on the phone. But that evening, her brother had died in a car accident and he died in a car accident on the road that we were on to come back from the band trip. Um, so more likely than not, there was some either we passed the, the accident and I didn't think anything of it at the time or it happened very shortly thereafter. And my my uncle Eric was if we're allowed to say it, we have, we, we have favorite aunts and uncles. I think, I, I don't think that's going to be a surprise to anyone. He was my favorite. He was, he was the guy who would take me to the arcade. He was the guy who would, who would treat me like I was um, a person and not just a kid. Like he was the person who I kind of longed to spend time with because I loved to be with him. Yeah. He and got so you. He did get me. He did got get you. me. And, and I really appreciate you sharing that because as I got older, that's one of the major things that I grieved was that I didn't have a person who got me as quickly as he did. And, and so when we're talking about, you know, grieving in adolescence, that was definitely a part of it. You know, my, my grandmother wrote a note to me from him when I left for college and um, she gave me some money to buy my first round of books and they were, it was from him. And I still have that note. And she, she passed two years ago um, during COVID. And so like, that's another loss. But one of the things I want to share with you, one of the things that I think is sometimes tricky is that, you know, what we're not trying to do in adolescence is we're not trying to get rid of grief because you and I both know it is not something you get rid of. And for me, I like to say it's not even something we get through. My philosophy or thought of grief is I contextualize it in my head because I'm, I'm a neurodivergent individual. And so my brain thinks in pictures a lot before it thinks in words. And so the first thing I think of is grief as, as, as this entity, almost like a, like, a, like a pit of an avocado, if you will, that, that grief exists there. And as, as the meat of the avocado grows around it, it doesn't mean that that pit's not there. And it doesn't mean that that pit isn't, isn't part of the avocado. It's just, there's more parts of the avocado. And so for me, as I, as I got older, I still had that pit there. And as I layered on that avocado, I, I didn't think about him as much. I had, um, two, two, I had three children. The first two, um, are girls and they are, One's in college now, one is 16, and my son is 14. He was the last of our children that was born. And we named him Landon Eric. And we named his middle name as after Eric. And the year that he was born was the worst Christmas I've ever had. And I couldn't figure out why. And this, and at this point, I was, I was in my, my mid to late 20s. Eric had died about a decade before. But I, I, I sat down and, and I just kind of sat with my feelings for a little while. And I realized it's because I was very sad that Eric was never going to get to meet Landon. 
And, and my brain hadn't put that together with what my body was feeling, but it was almost like my, my 20 year old self had to, had to comfort my 17 year old self all over again. And we find that we find that a, a lot with teenagers is that the way that they manifest their grief or show or don't show their grief is highly personalized. Just like you said, it's highly personalized to personality, but also to support system and environment and social conditioning. Cause sometimes we can be in places where showing your grief is acceptable. And sometimes children are growing up in places where showing your grief may not be acceptable or may, may be considered even disruptive. So if a child is showing their grief, it disrupts the system and everyone gets upset. So the child learns not to show that grief. And so sometimes it gets buried and comes out later. But for me, like I said, I, I really didn't have any strong, what I would remember to be grief reactions until I was 10 years later. Yeah. You managed at the age of 17. You probably went back to school and did everything you needed to do because that's what was expected of you. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And, and just to, he died the same weekend as Princess Diana. And, and that's an interesting thing for me too, because her, her, the anniversary of her death gets brought up often. And it's the same weekend as my uncle Eric. And so when those things come up, those are, those are thought connections that, that instantaneously pop up in my head um, that are now over 20 years, almost 30 years old. Yeah. So what I'm kind of hearing in your comments, Adam, and I, and I love this story and I appreciate the analogy of the avocado. What I'm really kind of hearing is if you have a teenager in your household who may be grieving, that you probably can treat them like an adult, support them. If they want to talk, listen, be there with them. Don't try to pry. Don't try to force anything. Just let them be there and just be there for them. That's right. Is that pretty accurate? I would say that you you hit the nail on the head, right? And and um, I I would say even with smaller children, when we talk about them, that that key is is listening. And one of the things that we'll talk about at the NACG a lot is this this concept of of listening on repeat, which is our theme for Children's Grief Awareness Month in November. Is that you listen and you listen again and you listen again um, because the story, even if the story sounds exactly the same, the story is something sacred to that person that they're sharing it with you, that they're giving you something sacred. They're giving, they're showing a part of themselves to you. And that interaction and that sharing is a very sacred sharing. Um, what we also can do too, to support, especially teens who are grieving, is also not necessarily keep our grief a secret from them. Because if we, if we keep our grief a secret, secret from them, we may be communicating that grief is something that we're supposed to do in private or something that we don't do with other people. And so, you know, there's moments where I'll, I'll look at, I'll, I'll look at Landon and, you know, with kind of with a little teary because I miss him. And I'll say, I really wish you would have known Eric. Like, yeah. I, I think he would have loved watching you grow up and he would love to see where you are right now in the ninth grade. Um, and, and to show that, right? And so Landon knows that I miss my Uncle Eric and I am sad that he's not here, but I'm doing what I can to communicate what I believe would have been Eric's love to him through showing when I'm experiencing grief as well. Right. And you have introduced and your son knows his great uncle Eric, even yes. though he's not there. Mm -hmm. Landon knows about Eric. He knows who he is and has a relationship through you. And through your stories and memories. That's mm -hmm. beautiful. Okay. Now let's go to the 
almost opposite end of the spectrum <laughs> to the to the age group where children really don't have the capacity yet, the knowledge yet to understand what death even is. Mm-hmm. You mentioned listen and listen on repeat. Where do you start with children that little? If, say, a grandparent dies, where do you start? I'll even go before then. And I um, and I will say it's before a death occurs. This is this is my encouragement to to adults that I, I work with and caregivers I work with is that we introduce the concept of death and the permanency of death at an age appropriate level as early as we can. And, and there's ways to do that when we when we look around our house right now. I am not commenting on anyone's cleanliness, but I would almost guarantee there's probably a dead fly on everyone's windowsill somewhere. Probably. <laughs> or, or <laughs> you lived where I live, where there was those little like potato bugs that were just oh, covering yeah. windows, right? They they die. When you go on walks, you notice after it rains, worms will crawl the ground and then will we'll die on the sidewalk. And, and so we, we have these, these instances of, of death around children all the time. And that is not something that excites adults to talk about. People don't like to talk about death, especially with children, but we can introduce it at a very, very age appropriate early level by saying everything that's alive will die. And, and that's how we do it a lot in, in some of the preschool groups that I've ran is that's the, that's really what we're trying to talk about is this permanency of death. Because we use the word die a lot in our culture, but it doesn't mean permanent. So, for example, when, when, a, when a phone battery runs out, my phone is dead. But then I, ch- I plug my phone in and it comes back. So for a child to hear my, my, you know, your grandfather's dead, well, what do we need to do to plug them in? What do we need to do to charge that battery, right? And, and so that's, that's, that's a very different piece. The phone's not alive, but your grandfather was just like that worm. Remember the worm we saw on the walk or, you know, the, 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 the fly on the windowsill or anything that you've noticed or you've seen or you've experienced, you can kind of tie it back to that. So that's my, always my encouragement is to start at the appropriate levels. I like that. And I like your explanations and everything. And I like the perspective about the word die or, you know, with your phone as opposed to something living. So those are great discussion points for very young children. So I really like that as well. And I will tell you, I've had a lot of conversations, a lot of conversations with children about death, probably more than most adults are comfortable having. And I will tell you that at, at a very young age, children will ask usually a few questions and then they'll move on. It, it, I think what adults fear sometimes is, is, is broaching the topic with a child and being forced into maybe some questions that they don't understand or don't, or don't know. But one of the greatest gifts we can give a child is saying, I'm not sure, or I don't know, because um, we're showing that even as adults and as big people, we don't always have all the answers, but I'm going to be with you as we, as, we, as we think about that. Right. And, you know, if, for example, you're on a a walk through the park or something like that and you start to broach the subject, children's attention spans can be very short. We know that. But that's the perfect environment, maybe, because there are other things that the moment you turn around, there's a beautiful butterfly or a pretty bird or something. So that allows that conversation to be in little fragments almost. Mm -hmm. And I think that probably also will stay with the child longer. They'll remember that instead of a long discussion that they start to not understand what you're even talking about. So that's great information. Recently, I was asked by a friend who had a, well, 
a friend of theirs had been ill and, and finally died. And she was looking for some books for a couple children. And one was like eight years old and the other was like 12, I think, something like that. I found myself at a loss. Mm. There are, they seem to be numerous books out there for the elementary school level, maybe, you know, up through grades three and four even. But beyond that, it gets really, really sparse. Something I was looking for on the NACG website, but didn't find. So this is just a little idea. Let the light bulb go on wherever. Might be a list of recommended books in different age groups. Because sometimes it's a lot easier to sit down with a book and have pages open and read it with a child or have a child read it to you or something that could be very helpful. So that's just kind of a little aside that I don't think, and to any author out there that has talent or therapists, clinicians, whatever, it doesn't matter. If you have a story in you, write it down because I think there's a huge advantage to that. I think that could be very helpful. And even to the teens, I think. They might be more apt to read a book themselves. There might be a nice analogy in there or something about grief. I, I really appreciate you bringing that up because that's actually our, I, I, I wish you could see it and I wish I could share my screen and show you. That's one of our next projects. Um, oh, super. Is that, is that exact thing. We actually want to, we want to do that in twofold. We want to do that um, for children. We also want to do that for adults who want to support children. And I think this is a neat time to tell you really how the NACG works is that we we are we are a collection of members and a lot of our members are currently working in the field and so our resources we want them to be sourced from the field and not necessarily um us just telling you what we think might be might be happening in the field it's no these are books that that folks are using in the field currently and they're books that folks can vet because sometimes there's books that that are are, are a little more maybe universally rounded as opposed to very specific, but even on some of those specific pieces. Um, for example, the NACG, we're very big on, on using the word death and dying um, right. with, with children. And so if, if, a, if a story maybe relies a little too heavily on analogy, we might not recommend that one um, because it, it can be confusing. But if our members are like, no, we really use this book. This is a good book to use. We want to collect that information. So I really appreciate you bringing that up because that's that's one of our next projects. That's exciting. You know, I will have, do they have a, a newsletter or something? I want to make sure I subscribe because I, I want to make sure, or maybe if you can put on your calendar, when that list comes out, mm -hmm. let me know. And I would be happy to have you back on the podcast to talk specifically about books. Okay. I even have one I will send you. We had an author on our podcast, uh, I think over a year ago, who to me has written a delightful book and I will, uh, I will send you her information as well. Oh, but you were very, on the spot, talking, starting to talk about the organization, because that was my next question. What <laughs> is the National Alliance for Children's Grief? How did it start? And what kind of is your mission? 
Sure. So the National Alliance for Children's Grief started off, we, we just completed our, our 25th symposium, which is our annual conference. So we've been meeting at that larger scale. We're going on our 26th this year, but started off as a group of individuals who, from what I was told, were, were attending a, a group conference and met in the hallway that evening in a, in a dorm room where they were sharing bathrooms. And they just started to talk about their work because they were, they were, invested in bereavement and grief work, but found that sometimes it was isolating specifically talking about children because not everyone always included children in the conversation. Um, as time has, has, has evolved, we understand a little more every day about the, the way that children experience grief. But even going back five, 10 years, the, the, the field of like, for example, preschool grief was, was, not, was not as thick as it is now um, because we're really starting to understand what that might look like and how that might manifest. So this group of individuals got together and they started meeting and they started talking and started enjoying each other's company and it started to grow and grow and grow and incorporated into this national organization that's designed to hold space for literally anyone who wants to work with children. Our membership is made up, like I shared earlier, it's made up of individuals who um, are working in bereavement centers across the country. It's made up of individuals who are doing support groups in schools. It's made up of individuals who have a passion maybe in their place of worship to grab to gain more information about how to support um, children who are grieving in addition to maybe their spiritual lens as well. Um, made just individuals who have this, this, this pulling, I sometimes call it a pulling um, because a lot of times we adults kind of sometimes pull back from children's grief. It's almost like they're pushed away from it because they don't know what to do with it. I find that those people who work with children are describe themselves as being pulled to that field. And this is, this is an organization designed to hold space for those individuals who are being pulled to working with children who are grieving. That's that's great. And, you know, not only do we pull back when it's about children's grief, but we pull back for our own grief. Yes, uh, we resist that. You know, those are the sit on the couch and do nothing day because I'm just so miserable. I can't right. move. Yeah. Now, National Alliance and mm -hmm. we're all in the States. So it's the United States. Correct. What information might be available for somebody, say, in Europe? that sure. wanted to visit your site. So the website is nacg.org and the website has a lot of our information on there. We we make a commitment that any paid resource we have does have a free component that can be found on our website um, so that there's information that can be readily shared if if maybe the, the cost of the resource would be prohibitive. But most of our resources, I'm going to be honest with you, are available without purchase on the website through our resources page. And that information has a lot of conversations about what is childhood grief, how to talk to children about grief. We have um, some new resources that are coming out about talking with children after a suicide death and also incorporating um, children into funeral spaces. So some of these pieces definitely may need to be rooted in one's own culture, but there can be pieces there that can maybe start and help conversations. For example, in the suicide resource, we, we propose a couple example scripts, not you have to say it this way, but if, if you feel as though you might be stuck and, and want some support in how do I even start this conversation, there's some sample scripts on how you can share this information. And that information would be available to, to all of your listeners. 
Yeah, I was checking the website out and I went to the resources page and you have some toolkits there. And I found the most delightful toolkit. It's the one about a hero. It's yes. a hero toolkit. And not only was there, there was a, a separate page for parents. There was a separate page for professionals. And it had some amazing and adorable activities complete mm-hmm. with templates and everything like that. There was a lot of help there that I thought was really, really valuable. And I certainly didn't pay anything to find it. And that was only one toolkit of several. So even if you are not in the United States, even if you think, well, okay, it's an organization, but I can't afford membership or this is not really appropriate. You may have that one isolated instance where you just need a little bit of extra help because maybe it's the child of your neighbor. You know, maybe they live right next door to you or something and you happen to see them occasionally out in the yard. It will help you feel more confident, I think, dealing with children and not being afraid to be around them or be afraid of what they might ask or what they might say to you. Yes. Again, you can always just listen. So, you know, it's, it's sounds like a wonderful organization. And actually I peeked at the membership page and the membership fees are not exorbitant. I will, I will say that as well. So if you're a professional and you do have that listed as one of your services, I encourage you to take a look and really consider membership. I, I really do. And for, and, for those, and for those professionals who are licensed counselors and licensed social workers in the United States, we do, um, through grant funding, have try to, we try to have nine webinars a year that are about an hour and a half a piece that are we offer continuing education credit for that are included in membership. Um, yeah. and, and so if you are a professional who's, who's looking for continuing education specifically in the field of childhood bereavement, I've been doing this a long time and the cost per, per return I, I have not seen it anywhere else. Like right. the yeah, it's that famed return on investment that the That's financial right. folks speak about so yes. much. But actually, you read my mind because I was just going to mention events and everything and that there may very well be continuing ed credits. So thanks for answering that question before I spoke it. We are connected. Um, <laughs> I guess. I guess. Great minds, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, our, our time is winding down, Adam, and this is the point where I usually say to our guests that I'm going to stop asking questions, and I'm going to turn the microphone over to you. Now, you've talked a fair amount already about your organization, but I want to hear more, and I think our listeners need to hear more. So share with them whatever you will, whether it's upcoming events, whether it's upcoming projects, whether it's how they might get involved. This is your turn. Go ahead. Thank you. One one of the biggest pieces that I, I want to recommend is is the is the there's a there's a function on our website that again is is free of charge does not require membership um, called Find Support. In there, what we do is we have a searchable database by um, by different things by by state by zip code that allows individuals to go in, type in this information, and it will bring up individuals who've self selected to be inside of our database. We don't we don't select individuals. We don't, these are people who've self-selected in and tell you where they are and what services they offer. So if, if sometimes again, I grief, just 
has an ability sometimes to just make us feel stuck. We don't, we don't know where to go next. We're just, we know that we can be going somewhere, but grief just kind of is, is sticky. Typing in that information and bringing up some of the resources available in your area or state can be helpful. Um, it's searchable by individuals for peer support groups for individuals who are want to be together in ages and stages and having these conversations, individual um, support, if that's something that's important, family camps, things where our members at the NACG, these are unique events that the NACG members are providing to help children who and families who are, who are grieving, that, that resource I just if I just want people to know what's there because sometimes you just don't even know what's available or what may be in our in our own backyard that that's there because it's not something that you you, you may know or that you're 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 using often. Um, I do encourage those who find themselves oftentimes in positions of supporting children who are grieving to maybe look into membership. Membership has a has a lot of benefits. A lot we've talked about them for for professionals at CES, but also. I think, and the biggest thing that the NACG provides is that alliance word, that that sharing of information, so that when when you're starting something, you're involved in something, and 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 it feels like you have to reinvent that wheel. That you're with a group of people who will say, "No, no, we understand how much time and energy that takes. What if we supported you and share with you our information that we may have here?" Because this is something that you can do in your community to support. And so that alliance and that connection piece, we have monthly member calls where individuals can can join a Zoom call and we have conversations that break up into smaller groups. Um, so individuals who are working with maybe even children's fundraising to raise funds can have a conversation with other fundraisers and clinicians can work with clinicians and students can work with students. We just, we want to provide those spaces where people can come together and continue to have those conversations that started in the hall hallway, right? Um, that's that's in our mind. It's what can we do to continue that hallway conversation on a national level to make sure that those folks who are, again, pulled to working with children who are grieving have the resources, support, and, um, and even desired skill to be in that relationship with children. I want to, before I sign off, I want to offer my perspective after visiting your website, after talking with you, Adam, so often the resources you'll find are through mental health organizations. I do not believe grief is a mental health diagnosis. I think it could get to that point if it was very complex. But grief, as most of us know it, I do not believe is a mental health diagnosis. Hmm. And I don't really feel that it should be treated as such. My perspective from visiting your website and listening to you is that you are helping people deal with a completely natural response Mm -hmm. to an unfortunate incident in their lives. Yes. And that for me is worth everything Mm. because you don't have to believe that any judgment or opinion is going to be rendered because by the wording and everything on your website that I saw, you guys get it. You know, not only that children need help, they need support, they need assistance. You offer resources to help with that, but you also understand and recognize 
that it's difficult for adults to achieve that. Mm-hmm. And there you go again with that alliance. So there's the support you need, whether it's your children grieving, the next door neighbors, a student in your class, if you're a teacher, mm-hmm. anyone. Here are the resources, many of them totally free, and an opportunity, too, for you to get involved and become part of that alliance. So I guess that's all I have to say on that note. But I, I was very impressed with the organization, and I am more so now. So I'm going to be um, mentioning to several people in my network to ask them to go take a look at it and hopefully get involved. So unfortunately, we kind of come to that part of the, the episode where I have to wind down and say so long and see you another time. Adam, I would love to have you back again, either to talk more specifically about children and bereavement, teens and grief, or maybe even to hear about that list of books when Mm -hmm. that project is wrapped up or anything. So don't be surprised if you hear from me again in the future. And likewise, I will invite you if there's something special going on at NACG or a special, maybe there's a trend in something that you've identified and you would like to get the word out, reach out to me as well. You're always welcome back. Okay, sure. That's great. You are now in my network. So I welcome that. <laughs> no, and I, I, I would like to be part of yours as well. Please. So listeners, wherever you are around the world, and now we're up to 74 countries, I have to say. I have to brag a little bit. So thank you, everyone. We have to wind down and say it's time for us to leave. We hope you will join us again next week. We will have another fascinating guest. We try to do that all the time for you, our listeners. And I learned so much and I have grown in my own grief by every single visitor we have had, every guest on our podcast, every comment we received by email. I Mm. grow in my own grief. So I thank everyone for that. Remember to take care of yourselves. Self-care is probably the number one priority because if you can't take care of yourself, you're not going to be able to help someone else as well. So take care of yourself, and I hope you come back again next week as we all continue to live in grief. Thank you so much for listening with us today. Do you have a topic that you'd like us to cover, or do you have a question from one of our episodes? Please email us at info at asiliveandgrieve.com and let us know. We hope you will find a moment to leave a review, send an email, and share with others. Join us next time as we continue to live and grieve together.